we want our managers and leaders to care about us. We want to feel that we can trust them and that they can trust us. And we want to have the safety to go and pursue our big goals that they're setting for us, right? Or that we're setting for ourselves. The framework of lovable leadership is care, trust, and safe travels. Those are three things that I think are essential to build teams that are infused with kindness, with respect, and I think can, can go on to do great things. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Formerly known as the world's most handsome social media and content marketing strategist, our guest today, Jeff Gibbard, now goes by another title, Superhero. He's a professional speaker and the founder of several companies, including Super Productive and the Superhero Institute. The Jeff helps people unlock their potential to grow revenues while making a positive impact on the world, something obviously we're passionate about here at Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. He's also the host of his own popular podcast called Shareable, and uh, we may learn a little bit more about that. I encourage you to take a listen. And Jeff is the author of a book we're going to talk about today called The Lovable Leader. Build great teams with trust, respect, and kindness. So longtime listeners of the show, actually anybody who's listened to the show, anybody who knows the name of the show, Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, you can see why we've got Jeff on the show today. Jeff Gibbard, author of The Lovable Leader, welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Thank you. I hope uh, to talk about leadership without losing our souls. And uh, I'm excited to be speaking with a kindred spirit uh, such as yourself, David. Well, and I, we're delighted to have you here with us too. And uh, we are absolutely going to talk leadership and and lovability and all of the above. But before we do any of that, Jeff, i uh, got to ask you to take us back to your earliest memory of yourself as a leader. How far back would you go? Oh, man. I, w- I mean, it would have to be something in childhood. Um, it would have to be something in childhood. I was a very precocious child and I also was like, probably on the bossier side with the the friend groups that I had. So um, yeah, man. Wow. No one has ever asked me that before. And I have absolutely no idea my first leadership moment. The first one that really occurs to me is way later in life. Like it really is much, much later in my life. And it was when I started my company, because I think it's the first time in my life where I felt truly comfortable being a leader, where I feel like everything else prior to that was a little bit of like leadership by happenstance or um, unconscious leadership, like stepping into a leadership role because I want to be, you know, I want to make an impact. I want to have a voice. I want to make sure that people in, you know, in the, in my surrounding area are taken care of. But it wasn't until I was um, running my own company that I thought of myself as a leader. So it's hard to really think back prior to that, because I feel like all of that were just the building blocks that one day led me to actually feel like a leader. What, what made you feel like a leader? What was it about that process of doing that, that made you feel something different than you had before? The big thing is responsibility. I Mm. I don't think actually any time prior to that, I could honestly say that I felt responsible for anyone else around me. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I ran my own company that I felt that my role had consequence uh, and it had consequences, you know? So what I did, what I said, how I treated people, the decisions I made, all of that stuff came to actually matter finally for more than just me. So I think every instance prior to that, I get, you know, I can see sprinklings of the things that were the ingredients that eventually came together to make this dish. But um, it wasn't until I had people on my team that I realized that I had people that were actually looking to me and saying like, where do we go? What are we doing? 
So that sense of responsibility, it's, it's interesting uh, early in my career, when I was doing leadership development, more for uh, children and young people, and then into college uh, for, you know, we had different definitions at different age groups and so forth. But one of the earliest definitions was a uh, leader, someone who takes responsibility for themselves and for other people. And so getting that, that definition, that sense of responsibility, and that comes through loud and clear in a lovable leader. So it's a great segue to get us into the, into the conversation. Yeah. Well, thanks for pointing that part out. Um, I really, I, I tend to think of a leader as someone who feels uh, the responsibility for that role and that is willing to take on both the burden and the privilege of that role, because it's going to be all of those things at once. But the responsibility is that, that calling piece to be a leader. I think, you know, I haven't really pieced together, but that probably is where it came from is that first moment where I felt that responsibility to, to be in a leadership role. And that, that, kind of that triumvirate of responsibility, burden, and privilege. Those are all three elements that you you draw out and uh, that I actually wanted to ask you about. If you could kind of walk us through when you're talking about, I mean, let's help us get into the definition too. But in fact, let's start with definition. Because, you know, when I, when I first see the title of the book, Lovable Leader, of course, being a human-centered leader and loving this stuff, my first reaction is, oh, that's awesome. And then my skeptic hat kicks in and you got the people who are like, listen, buddy, leadership isn't about being liked. And if you want to be liked, you can't be, if you want to be loved, you can't be a leader. You get that kind of skepticism. So what is a lovable leader? So you brought up so many good things there, paths to go down. So one is the distinction between being liked and being loved uh, about showing and expressing love at work and whether or not that's professional or whether that should be something that we talk about. Um, so all of that stuff is is obviously a big part of the conversation. Let's start with, I guess, where I see the definition of lovable leader and and why I decided to name it that way. So I got to um, first credit sort of the origin story of the whole thing, which was that the idea of the book came to me as I was driving back from Annapolis, Maryland with my wife. She had just started a role where she was managing new people or, or a new manager role where she was managing people first time. I had been doing it for about a decade. So she had all these situations that were coming up and she was asking my advice. And it was during that time that as, as I was giving her advice and everything, we came up with the outline for the book. But what I realized in the title, it came to me, it, like it was the first title that came to me. And the reason why is I was coaching my wife, who is by all accounts, a very lovable person. She could make so many mistakes at work as a manager. She could do so many things and still get cut slack because people knew that her intentions were in the right place. She exhibited care. She worked really hard to gain people's trust and to be trusted as a person for them and to create safety for people so that no one ever felt alone in their role. That's a big thing that my wife always said is that no one should feel alone. That's like her life's purpose, right? So the, the term came to me because I realized that those are things that belong at work. We, we want to go to places where we feel like our bosses care about us. Also, I hate the B word. I just used it, but generally like I never use that word, but we want our managers and leaders to care about us. We want to feel that we can trust them and that they can trust us. And we want to have the safety to go and pursue our big goals that they're setting for us, right? Or that we're setting for ourselves. So the, the framework of lovable leadership is care, trust, and safe travels. Those are three things that I think are essential to build teams that are infused with kindness, with respect, um, and, and I think can, can go on to do great things. You know, I, I, what strikes me when you unpack all of that and, and talk about the lovable leader and, and building teams with kindness, respect, and, and trust, and so on, is that it's not the goal is not to be loved as a leader. It's to be a leader who loves, and that is inherently lovable, I mean, if, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, I think that makes sense. The way I tend to think about it, because when I first even thought of the title, my skeptic hat came on, right? I was like, nobody's going to take this seriously. Love at work? Come on. That's an HR issue waiting to happen, right? But but to clarify it, you know, I really I have to give a shout out to Brene Brown on this because she was giving a talk about vulnerability and she talked about love and the ideas of it. And, and she gave a definition for love. Like she asked, she did research on this and what people came back with was trust, uh, respect, kindness, uh, care, uh, honesty, all these sorts of like attributes that you have in someone where there's love. And, and you think, what what is wrong with any of that at work? All of those things seem like they would be good things to have at work. So um, so I brought that into the the fray because it's not so much the love that we think of with romantic love. Obviously, that's not that's probably not supposed to happen at work. I mean, it does happen, but that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about are the conditions of love that make um, for great relationships to flourish, for safety to happen, and for people to be able to be free to be who they are and do their best work. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, and it's uh, obviously putting on my skeptic hat. I, I need to do that for the sake of the conversation and, and to help get us into the conversation. But my own take on that, I used to, uh, when I was uh, coaching my own managers as an executive and, and in conversations since then, particularly around conversations where you're getting to the really hard moments, and we'll get into this in your book here in a little bit of having to fire somebody or let them go or, or things like that, not a layoff situation, but for performance, for cause, that my goal was to not ever fire somebody until it was an act of love. And, and I really believe that, that as an act of caring and compassion for them and for the team, that that's the healthiest place I could be terminating employment from. And anything less than that, I needed to be really cautious about. I I so thoroughly obviously agree with that. And and I I think it's such a um it's like a fireball statement to say that firing someone, that like letting someone off of your team, that you have to have love in that moment, right? Because I think if you care enough about someone to hire them, to bring them onto your team, and you care enough about your team to bring this person onto your team, then you should also care enough. One, to take care of that person on the way out, even if it's for cause, even for whatever, to be the kind of person that cares enough for them to say, hey, I did the diligence to bring you on and I should do the diligence to make sure that you're okay on the way out. So whether that's you have to fire them, you have to lay them off, they quit, whatever it is, you should always try and be kind as they are on their way out the door and you try to reduce whatever harm comes from that situation. So if you can make recommendations, if you can connect them with other people for the next role, great. Um, so I think that that's absolutely essential. But I think the point that you brought up is so important as well, which is that it's not just about the person on the, that you're letting go from the team. It's about the team that remains after the fact, because what you allow, you endorse. So if you have a toxic member of your team, you know, and you have to get that person off of your team, by you delaying taking them off of your team, it's signaling to your team what you're going to allow. And it's going to also signal that you're not going to protect them from that toxicity and from that bad behavior. So I think it is an act of love for the team that you have to also let people go sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a, that's my segue into, I am a fan of love and I think love absolutely has a place at work and certainly uh, to be a lovable leader. So let's get into the book here a little bit more. We've, we've fast forwarded on to one of the later chapters in terms of when you do need to, to let someone go, but let's build the the framework a little bit more. So, um, you know, you talk about different kinds of leaders. You've got tyrants, angels, lovable leader, right? So let's walk us through some of these kind of archetypes a little bit and then and how they fit together and where we're going to go getting into that framework of care, trust, and safe travel. 
Yeah, the um the the big leadership paradigm that I think is is out there and dominant is the command and control. The the brilliant um, you know, head CEO knows everything, kind of leads like a monarch basically. And that has been um embedded in our culture for so long that that's what we come to think of when we think of the word leader. I tend to think of a leader as just another role on the team. And I say that not to be dismissive, but instead to really shift how we think about where a leader sits within. There's that, you know, those graphics of like the leaders at the front, like cracking the whip, they're at the back pushing. I don't necessarily believe in any of these, these graphics as the best representation of it. I just think it means that you're someone on the team. You're not above the team. You're not beneath the team. You need to serve your team. That's part of your role, but you are a member on the team. And I think so many of the leaders that are out there think that their title and their position in the org chart and their hierarchy gives them the ability to command and control. And they think that that gives them uh, additional power, additional authority or additional intelligence or something like that. None of that, I think, particularly matters. Because I think the ultimate goal as a leader is to go somewhere, right? So you just have to think of what is the most effective way to get there. And I think command and control since the days of Machiavelli's The Prince has been, you know, one of the strategies. And I I personally want to push back against it. And so much of what I wrote in the book came from looking at what bad bosses did and then flipping it and saying, well, what would a great boss do? What would a great manager do? What would a great leader do? That leader that you, that you want to work for. We always are around here and we always sign off, be the leader you want your boss to be. Yeah. I heard a quote recently. Somebody says, uh, uh, I think it was a keynote I was listening to. He says, you have no idea what it's like to work for you. And it's like such an interesting thought to go, what is it like to work for me? So you got to ask questions. You got to be curious. And then you have to think about what type of leader you want to be. Doing those listening tours and and really diving in, asking and, and with a, a listening ear that really without judgment is willing to hear what people say. That's not easy to do. Yeah. Yeah. It is a difficult thing to do. All right. So leadership is your responsibility, burden, and privilege. So unpack each of those for us. Walk us through. What are we talking about? Responsibility you, you hinted at earlier as we were getting into some of your journey. Um, what about burden and privilege? And burden in particular, because it's one of those words that uh, when I read it, I raised my eyebrow. I went, hum, okay. I'm going to call it a burden. But then what the way you explained it made a lot of sense to me. Yeah. So uh, to to get back to the beginning part about the responsibility, the one thing I'll say is that I say somewhere in the book, leadership is a choice. It's just a mindset and it's a choice, right? So if you decide that you're going to be a leader, that's all it takes to decide that you're going to show and express yourself as a leader in the situations where you're called for. So that's the part about responsibility. It's it's the feeling that uh, I'm a huge fan of Spider-Man. I'm rocking a Spider-Man shirt right now, but with great power, there must also come great responsibility, right? So if you have the ability to make an impact, go forth and try and make that impact and use your powers for good. That's the responsibility piece. But what comes along with that is a burden as well as a privilege. So let's start with the privilege because that's easy, right? You're a leader. You're probably going to have a title. You're probably going to have a higher salary. You're probably going to have any number of different benefits that come along with it. People are going to pay you deference. They're going to listen when you talk. By way of just your position in the organization or on the team, you're going to have a seat that uh, allows you to make decisions of consequence. So it's a privilege to be a leader. And to have that is great. And we should acknowledge that, but we should also use that privilege to fight and advocate for the people on our teams. So privilege, we think we can all pretty much wrap our head around that. Now, the burden piece is the stuff we don't talk about because we always want to make it seem like being the leader is the greatest thing in the world. You know, to to be the Kobe Bryant's and the Michael Jordan's on the team, it must be so great to be that person, but we don't think about how hard that role is 
to take on that additional responsibility for the team, to sometimes carry the team on your back, to sometimes be humble enough to shut your mouth and let somebody else step up and let your ego take that hit, to deal with people who are difficult that may not be making any sense, but to still be able to sit in that difficult conversation and validate them, understand where they're coming from so that you can work towards a positive outcome on the other side of it. Leadership sucks sometimes. It's really hard. And that's what I mean by a burden is not that it's not worth it, but that if you're going to be carrying that boulder up the hill, sometimes it's going to hurt your shoulders. So leadership is always going to present you with all three of those moments where you're going to feel this is my moment to step up. This is my responsibility in this moment to protect my team, to take on additional responsibility, to step to the side and let somebody else show up. That's the responsibility. But you're also going to have the moments where you feel like, wow, I can't believe I get to do this. People actually listen to me. I got a chance to help that person grow. That's such a privilege. But then at the other side of it, sometimes you're going to have to do that thing that really stinks. You're going to have to lay people off potentially or fire them. You're going to have to have difficult conversations about people's performance. You're going to have to sit with someone who's being completely unreasonable. And you're going to have to be the person that's the better person in that conversation that stays level-headed and that allows you uh, to take that conversation in a positive direction. So it's all three at all times. I think of it as the three lenses of leadership. They're all three are on at all given at any given time, and it's just a matter of what kind of day it's going to be. You know the the willingness to be misunderstood, the the challenge of people who haven't had that level of responsibility aren't going to understand the burden that comes with it, and that is an automatic separation. I mean, it's as old as as human structure, I imagine. You know, but. Uh, it's a real thing. And it's part of the reason it's so important to listen to shows like this and connect with other leaders and, and other people outside of your own organization for that community of people who do get it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's ultra important for people who are new to leadership roles more so than anyone else. I think seasoned leaders, people who've been in a leadership role, sometimes begin to get to a point where they they feel like they already get their own leadership style. They may be less willing. I think great leaders are always learning, but some leaders may get a little bit kind of locked into their way of thinking. It's why when I wrote the book, I didn't write it for you know Fortune 100 CEOs. I wrote it for new managers. I wrote for people who were good at a thing, got put into a manager role, and then all of a sudden had to figure out how to manage people. It's a totally different skill than knowing how to do whatever that thing was that you had to do. So I think people really um, need to understand the burden part. They need to be prepared for it because otherwise, if they're not thinking through what type of manager or leader they want to be, and they're not prepared for the burden part of it mentally, they're likely going to react emotionally. They're going to react in a way that doesn't necessarily serve their goals, their teammates' goals, or the organization's goals. Yeah, it's so true. And the other aspect is if you're not prepared for it and you don't know that it's coming, the privilege part, the greater, the, the, the bigger paycheck or the title or the prestige, any of that never is worth as much as the burden and responsibility that comes with it. If you're doing a good job at it, it just it never is. And so if you're not prepared for that and you don't have a purpose behind the work you're doing, that's greater than just the paycheck, uh, you're going to struggle and your team's certainly not, you're not going to have the influence that you want to have, are you? No, absolutely not. You have to be ready for it. You have to be willing to to sit there and deal with the difficult conversations. You have to be willing to, you know, put your ego to the side. You have to be willing to be in service of the people on your team and help them grow because that's the only way the the organization or the team is going to move forward. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we're talking to Jeff Gibbard, who's the author of The Lovable Leader, Build Great Teams with Trust, Respect, and Kindness. And so we've been laying a foundation here about 
how you uh, approach leadership, the mindset that you're coming into it with. And and Jeff, you offer us a, a framework. I know you said you wrote the book for people kind of just entering into leadership um, and maybe those first manager roles and so on. And it is, uh, the, the words I use to describe it, warm and practical. This is a warm and practical and eminently readable book. So that said, this framework that you offer, and you mentioned it earlier, care, trust, and safe travels, the lovable leader framework. I think this is a really valuable framework for seasoned leaders too. It's absolutely valuable for our first timers and people getting into it. But I think there's a lot for all of us to, to learn from this. I'd love it if you could take us through each of these three elements. I don't know if you call them pillars or, or elements, however yeah. you refer to them, but of the framework. Yeah, I consider them the three pillars of lovable leadership. And um, I'm, uh, you know, the book took me five years to write, but it only took me 28 days to write over those five years uh, because it just came like flowing out of me. And and I reorganized and reorganized the um, the layout and the chapters and, and the flow of it until I really figured out like how everything kind of came together, the the information architecture of this idea of lovable leadership. And what I realized was, is that care, trust, and safe travels were like the three big pieces that everything else fit into. So what you have in care is the idea that uh, as a leader, one of the most important things you can do is create an environment and a culture of care. That means understanding and being vulnerable with your with yourself and sharing what it is that you care about. So caring about, you know, what it is that is important to you caring about your team, understanding what your team cares about, and creating an environment where people take care of each other, where they um, where they are respectful to one another, where their communication is direct and kind and concise uh, and understandable. So all of those things are really important in creating an environment of care. Uh, so obviously, very important part of it. Uh, but care is also very important because it's the underpinning of the second pillar of trust. You actually can't really build trust if you sense that somebody doesn't care about you or if you don't care about them. It's one of the underpinnings of it. So in the book, I also give a framework called sitting on the same side of the table, which I'm sure we'll go through in a little bit. Um, but the idea of trust is that without trust, you're not going to be able to lead anyone anywhere. They're not going to trust you to go wherever it is that you want to go. And then moving into that third piece of safe travels. Safe travels is, I think, among the most clever uh, titles of the book because, or titles in the book. Because what we're talking about here is two concepts fused together. So a leader's job is to go somewhere. So the the travels part is the goal. So let's say you're trying to take a trip from New York to Los Angeles. You know, your goal is to get from New York to Los Angeles. But it's not just to get to that goal. You also have to get there safely. If you're stepping in a plane, you want to make sure that those doors are going to stay on at 30,000 feet. So I think of leadership in the same way that if we're setting bold visions into the future of where we want to take people, we have to make sure that the journey is safe. And that includes who you put on the team, how the team communicates with one another. Um, really, there, there's so many different aspects of creating psychological safety in the workplace so that people can show up and feel the freedom to do their best work. And it also means that we have, we have to have the resiliency to bounce back from failures. That's another part of safety. So those are the three big pillars. And I can go a little bit deeper into any one of them if you'd like. Yeah, and and I definitely want to call out some different elements of that because, uh, and for listeners, one of the elements that, you know, we're all about practical here. One of the elements I love about Jeff's book here is at the end of each chapter, he's got what he calls a cheat sheet, which bullets it out. Some of the very specific practical things you can do uh, within each of these areas or within the the concept of that chapter. And so Jeff, one of the, one of the things that that called out to me, knowing that we were having this conversation today was just yesterday uh, uh, in a program with some folks and and uh, executive president, I think it was not the C, I think it was the president of the company 
we were talking about trust and this, as you said, this interweaving between caring and trust. And the the critical role, all the research around trust, right? That do I believe you have my best interest at heart? If I don't believe that, it doesn't matter how credible, how reliable, how well I know you. If I don't think, if I think you're just out for yourself and you're just using me, it doesn't matter any of the rest of it, I'm not going to trust you. And very thoughtfully, this executive pondered for a little bit and said, I totally get that. And how do I communicate it? How do I communicate that I truly care about someone, have their best interests at heart, because I can see where my actions don't always look that way. And so as a leader, you get really practical about how we can communicate, how we can demonstrate that caring. Yeah. I think the first step is really to be curious. I think curiosity is such an important skill in leadership because it's our access uh, in many ways. I think it, it helps us to access empathy, but it also requires us to engage our empathy, to be curious about what other people care about, right? So it's not about telling the people on, our, on your team what you care about. It's about understanding what they care about and then finding a way to fuse that together with what you care about and aligning those two goals together. So I think one way that you exhibit care is by being genuinely interested in the people that are on your team and what their goals are and what they're after and where they want to go, and then being a champion for those things. So the first step, I think there is curiosity. I think another uh, element of care is to acknowledge people for their wins and to accept people and validate them in their time of losses, support them through those sorts of things. And then the third thing I think that is really an excellent way of exhibiting care is those moments where you have the opportunity to stand up for them. So a good example is if you're in an agency environment, agencies are notoriously fast paced. You have good clients, you have bad clients, you have difficult clients, and there's occasionally going to come a point where a client is not so great to your team. You have an opportunity there to show that the team is actually more important than the client. You have the ability to stand up for your teammate to the client. And I think those that's just an example, but there's so many different opportunities where you can stand for one another. You have two teammates that are fighting, let's say. They're having some sort of an issue, an argument, disagreement, misunderstanding, whatever it is. To be able to stand for the health of the entire team, to stand for each of them to be able to have their point of view heard and for them to be able to resolve it and, and have the full backing of you as the leader and the organization, those are ways that you show that you care about that person and not just the individual incident, but you care what happens to them. And then there's little stuff like, you know, when people want to take their sick days, don't ask questions, let them take their sick days. Um, you know, little things like that, saying thank you, um, buying lunch sometimes. These are all little ways that you can show that you care. But I think the most important thing, if I were to boil it all down, is look at people as humans, not employees. Don't think of somebody on your team as like a member of the team that's doing a particular thing. Think of them as the human being, their name. Care for them as human beings first, and then they'll show up as members of the team. It's so easy to, I, I call it two-dimensionalize people. Uh, and and I, I think we all do. It's a human tendency. And particularly in the remote, for those who are in remote type of environments, I think there's an even greater temptation to this because uh, now I'm not seeing a three-dimensional human being in front of me. Now I'm seeing pixels on a screen. Maybe it's a picture like I'm looking at with you right now, but it might be even worse. It might be some dots in a messaging app, and that's my main interaction with that person. And yeah. it's so easy to reduce them to their role or to what they contribute to this task, this project, or the data that I need from them or, or what have you. How do you recommend leaders? You said we need to resist that. 
how can we resist that tendency to two-dimensionalize people? And, and I think about like blowing up a balloon and reinflating and re-three-dimensionalizing people. Um, how, how have you found uh, to be some useful strategies along those lines? So there's a couple things that I routinely advise people on. Um, the first is, I believe it's Hanlon's razor. Don't attribute to malice that which could be explained by stupidity. That said, I don't encourage thinking of your teammates as stupid, but I do think it it's about questioning the intent. It's about questioning whether or not the thing that just happened was something deliberate or whether it's something that um, just happened and there's different perspectives to it. And you can kind of take it at face value and not judge it and instead validate it and be curious about it. So I think one, back to the point I made before, is really engaging that curiosity and being willing enough to um, to not render a judgment about something that happened, because that's ultimately where people get two-dimensionalized, right? Is a thing happens, we say something about it, that becomes the truth, and then that's what that person is, right? But instead, yeah. if we can say a thing happened, what do we know for sure about that? Okay, great. How can I help in this particular situation? What can I do here to make this situation better? Let me hear both sides. Let me be curious. Let me ask questions. Let me go into coaching mode. And then let me see how I can make this situation better at the end of it. So I think giving yourself a little bit of that space where your job isn't to be the arbiter of right and wrong, but your job instead is to try and make things better and try to be in service of the team. That helps you to not two-dimensionalize people. At the same time, I do think that it's really helpful if you genuinely care about people. Like if you generally like people and you're interested in learning more about them and what makes them tick, I mean, it's only going to make you better at your job when you have to have either course correcting conversations or goal conversations. If you understand what really drives someone, you can attach what it is that you need as part of the organization to what it is that they want. Because ultimately anybody on your team, what they care about most is whatever they care about right? So your job as a leader, if you want to be really successful, is to find out as many ways as possible where you can kind of ride the coattails of what they're interested in towards the goal that you're trying to achieve. And that's just wisdom. <laughs> we can figure that out. It's, uh, it's Life becomes so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Ask a lot of questions. Get to know people. Find out, you know, you asked me about my first leadership moment at the beginning of this podcast, which I hadn't even thought about. You gave me an opportunity to get to know a little bit more about myself. And at the same time, you got to learn a little bit more about me and where my journey into leadership began and where I thought about it. And that's a that's a connection that we just made at the beginning of this show that I think makes our relationship richer as a result of it. And that was just one interaction on a podcast. Leaders have the opportunity to see people every single day, generally, just pop in on a one-on-one -on -one and say, what's up? How's it going? Tell me about, tell me something about you that I don't know, or like, just be genuinely curious and not in like a, like I have 10 questions. Let me get through those and find out these data points and put it in my CRM. Like, you know, like genuinely care about what somebody's interested in. Yeah. Not an interrogation. It's a relationship. Yeah. You know, Jeff, you, you mentioned uh, a moment ago, uh, getting into the trust aspect of things. You, you used a phrase validating instead of judging. And yes. I, I recall seeing that in the book and it, it was one that uh, the jumped out. I mean, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about that. If you could yeah. um, just, just walk us through a little bit. What do you mean when, in terms of building trust, this is a really practical thing we can do to validate rather than judge. And you shared one quick example, but I wanted to, if you could emphasize that for us. Yeah. So our tendency as human beings is we're judging machines. We go around judging everything all the time. We judge people. I don't like that person's wearing. Oh, I like that person's wearing. That person just said that, that thing. Is that about me? And we're just constantly forming judgments about the world around us and trying to assess what's going on. 
validation is to see something without necessarily endorsing or um, or debating it. So, for instance, if someone is coming in late all of the time um, and they say it's really hard for them to get there on time, a, a standard way that a manager might respond is, it's not that hard. You only live a few blocks away. Like, why why is this so hard for you? Just set an alarm or this. Like, there's a judgment associated with it. There is a, an assessment of what the person said and then a judgment associated with that. As opposed to saying, I completely get that. I understand. It might be hard for you to get here on time. Let's talk about that. You're not endorsing it. You're not debating it. You're curious and you want to know more. So you're validating the thing that they said. Now, why do we do this? We do this because when you validate someone, you're not forcing them into a defensive posture. Whereas when you judge it, you immediately put that person in defensive posture. Now, whether or not you are right or wrong is irrelevant. What is relevant is what makes for a good conversation that moves you towards a goal. And if you put someone in a position where they are in a defensive posture, they're trying to prove to you why they are not wrong, you're not going to make any headway on progress. You're going to be debating points that have already happened. So instead, you can validate it, be curious about it, try to understand it more, and then look for a place where there's progress to move forward by aligning your goals. Mm. You're making me think about a guest we have coming up uh, who have not interviewed yet, but having read his book, uh, Chet Littlefield, uh, who uh, talks about powerful questions. He's all about asking good questions. And and Jeff, what you're getting at, uh, he, he talks about change your whys to what's and how's. Yes. And <clears throat> I think that's kind of what you're getting at here is that why, what, why relate is a judging question as opposed to, hey, what's going on? You know, it, it invites us into a conversation which may be about accountability and may be about helping them improve their performance in an area, or it might be about we're learning something about the system and what's not working in our team or in our our, our processes and, and that we can help fix or support as a leader. The other thing, so all of that, yes, 100%. The other thing it makes me think of is that we're, we could potentially also be missing an aspect of care. Going back to care here, we might be missing something that they're not saying. So for instance, this person has been late a bunch of times. We might be thinking, well, why are you late? And they're thinking, don't you know that my mother is in the hospital? And you're like, mm. oh, wow, that's a whole human thing that's happening to you that I didn't even know about. And I'm making mm. you feel worse for not showing up exactly on time. So when yeah. we get to know that, we get to then potentially make accommodations for them, show that we care by moving things around so that them being there right at you know, the right time doesn't matter quite as much because we're taking their unique situation. We're caring about them as an individual. We're taking that into consideration and leading around that. So I, I am very much around moving from why questions to what questions. Another book that I really love is called The Coaching Habit by Michael Bungay-Stanier. Amazing. And he talks all about the importance of what questions rather than why. So when we can move into that where we're actually curious using what questions, we gather information that we, we can then do something about. And if we've built the trust with people, which is what this is really about, and this is why it's so important, then we can actually get the real information we need to make better decisions. But if we have people who are guarded, if we're judging instead of validating, they're going to be defensive. And then if we don't have trust with them, they're not going to tell us what's really going on. So how can we solve a problem when we're not even seeing the entire picture? And our job as leaders often is to solve problems or to help people solve their own problems. And we can't do that with incomplete information. So we're getting, we're establishing the caring, we're building the trust. And all of this is in service to the people and where we're trying to go. Yes. So we've got goals. We're So just as we're walking through all this, I can picture somebody saying, gosh, well, where does the work come in? 
<laughs> where do the results and all the, the objectives we're trying to achieve? And that gets us into the safe travels part of all of this, which is uh, making our way towards the goals. And so, uh, and you, you briefly explained safe travel earlier, but let's get back to what does it mean? And let's get into some of the practicalities of that. Yeah, safe travels is just the simple idea that we're going somewhere, we're traveling somewhere, and we need to make sure it's safe along the way. Your job as a leader is to be the steward of that safe journey from where we are to where we're trying to go. Leaders are the ones who generally are setting the vision, they're setting the destination of where we're trying to get to, and I believe it is their job to set and create the culture that supports a safe environment for everyone to flourish. So there's a lot of aspects to that. I have something in the book called The Eight Commitments of the Team, and it's about choosing the right people to come on the team in the first place by understanding like what are the rules of our team. But then additionally, once people are on, what is the standard of conduct that I'm going to hold people accountable to? And it's about making sure that everybody has a voice, making sure that everyone feels included, making sure that everyone feels safe to speak up, to levy objections, um, and to, to talk about if they feel harmed and to be able to work through that, right? So there's all of these different aspects of it. With regard to the question around like where does the work come in? Um, it is a very interesting point because as we talk about care and we talk about trust and we talk about safety, that is a question that might come up. Oh, this all sounds so touchy-feely. What about getting the work done? And I think it's important to recognize that all we've been talking about here is the how. You don't have to change anything about what you're doing in terms of getting work done. You're just changing how we interact with one another, the words that we use, the pacing at which we have certain types of conversations, the framing of a particular type of conversation. That's all we're talking about here is a change in the how we lead, but not necessarily in whether or not we're getting any more or less done. And I would argue that when you have more safety on your team, when you have more trust between the members of the team and the team members and the leader, and when you have uh, more care from everybody on the team, you're going to have a team that's really high performing because you no longer have to get uh, you know, bogged down in petty squabbling. You have the resilience to bounce back from failure. You have the resilience to bounce back from uh, issues within the team. You have all that you need to actually be able to move fast, to innovate, to include everyone so you can do extraordinary things. So you're just addressing the how. So the safe travels part of it though, is about the commitment to the care and the trust, but the commitment to making sure that everyone feels that they have what they need to be emotionally safe, the ability to play, the ability to have failures, the ability to mess up and, and not be, you know, uh, isolated from the rest of the team. That's part of what is entailed with safe travels. And, and one of the things that you uh, talk about and this, I love the safe travel section because you, you incorporate some things and they, it's the both and of it that I really love about, about this section. And you mentioned that earlier about how it combines some of these things. Um, a couple of them that stood out to me was productive conflict that, yes. you know, healthy teams engage in productive conflict. And I'm a big believer in that. Uh, and so that that's part of safe travel because people don't think of conflict and safe, but yet there it is. So what do we mean by productive conflict and how does that a part of that journey? Yeah. So when I started writing this book, uh, Leanne Davies book, The Good Fight hadn't even come out yet. And I thought that I pioneered this concept of productive conflict. Turns out it's actually a thing that's out there and people talk about. Um, but it just made sense to me that that was actually what we were talking about in this concept that, that I'm about to illustrate here, which is that what I found, um, this is how it came to me, was that I realized a lot of the times I was dealing with a client. I run an agency for seven years and I had uh, been dealing with clients sometimes where we would be looking for feedback. And I'd be asking them for the feedback or I'd be asking them to turn around their part of what we need to get our work done. And it wasn't going anywhere. So 
what I needed was to create a conflict in which there was a resolution on the other side of it. And most people run away from conflict. It's very uncomfortable. But I just think of conflict as forcing of a resolution. It means that after this, there will be an outcome, right? So I think of productive conflict like I did in that situation with the clients. So I would say to them, hey, listen, if we don't actually get this back from you today, uh, we're not going to be able to move forward on this. I'm going to have to table it for the next month. Would you like to get me back the uh, the feedback I need by the end of the day, or would you rather we just table it now, right? So in that moment, I'm asking for an answer. You have two paths, pick one, right? So on a team, productive conflict is that occasionally you're going to have a situation where you've been asking for something from a teammate, let's say, um, and they've been dodging you or ducking you, or maybe they've just been forgetting about it. Productive conflict is where you sit down, you get the two of you in a room together, and you resolve the issue in that moment. It's about forcing something to happen when things are kind of being pushed off or put on the back burner. Using productive conflict means that we're going to have something happen at the end of this, and I'm going to force and make sure that that happens. Now, in that, obviously, if you've built care, you have trust, and you have safety, then those productive conflicts aren't uncomfortable. They're just making something happen. And and, and, you know, getting back to the point you made about not being afraid of it or scared of it, like that is a part of healthy relationships of every kind. We all yes. have them, you know, we all have them. My, uh, as, as much as I try to be high integrity and follow through on things, my son uh, texted me the other morning, he was at uh, uh, cross country summer practice and he said, Hey, they're giving me a hard time that I don't have this uh, proof of residency form in the system. I was like, Oh, holy cow. I had sat down to do it the previous Friday, the internet, uh, where I was, I was traveling, had gone out. I didn't do it. I had dropped the ball. We need a little productive conflict there for me to follow through on my commitment. Yeah. And, and you could think of it as like a call out or a call in, um, you know, calling out really generally, uh, more harms somebody's reputation. So I'd say calling in, you're calling them in, you're saying, Hey, we didn't do this thing and we're going to need to take care of it and get to the other side of it. So yeah, I, I think it's just about bringing people in and saying something needs to happen here. Yeah. And I really look at that as the flip side of, you know, the, um, you mentioned the caring, the encouragement, the recognition side. To me, the, they're, this is, they're two sides of the same coin. Like we've set an intention as a team or as individuals or, or teammates, however it works. Uh, and we either did it or we didn't do it. If we did it, let's celebrate. If we didn't, let's hold ourselves accountable. But either way, we're closing that loop. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. And it's a positive thing. All right. So here is one of the points in safe travels that I thought was so important. And uh, I haven't heard it said exactly this way. And I was thinking about some of the work we do with, with teams and communication and all the different elements. And they really all fall in their, this bucket, which is you, you encourage us be vigilant about making repairs to the team. And I thought, you know, that is so concise and brilliant because we have to make repairs to our houses. We got to maintain our cars. We Everything requires maintenance. Why would a team be any different? I, I like the the analogies of the car. And, and I like that you followed this right up from productive conflict because the repairs piece is that call to not let things fester. You're, you're engaging in productive conflict to repair the things that are happening on the team. So generally where you're going to see the repairs to the team take place is when you have an issue between two team members. It could be between you and a team member. It could be between two team members. But the idea is you want to engage in productive conflict, state what it is you want the outcome of that to be, and then work through that until the end of it. You've basically tried to repair as best you can. Now, I'm not going to say that even a lovable leader or the, the people who have, have learned everything that you have to offer, I have to offer, and anybody else, 
that you can repair every situation. You can't. But I think setting the intention and stating the intention that we're going to have great relationships on this team, we're going to work to work well together, we're going to consistently focus on making sure we have a safe environment to work in. But by stating that intention and then following through whenever there's something that you sense is out of line, the more you can repair that, it's easier to repair a small a small rift than it is a big one because these rifts grow, right? When something happens where you breach someone's trust or someone says something and they feel a certain kind of way, if you let that fester, it starts to bubble up and become a bigger thing than it once was. A whole story develops around who this person is. And again, kind of to your point, we two-dimensionalize them. But if we can just get that out in the open, say, hey, you said this thing the other day, made me feel really uncomfortable. I was hoping we could sit down and have a conversation about it. By the end of that conversation, you may realize that person doesn't remember saying it. They may not have meant it that way. Or maybe they said something and they actually need to apologize for the way that they said it. But you're getting that out in the open and you're dealing with it. And so long as both parties there are open enough and willing enough and care enough about one another to repair those sorts of relationships, it's better to deal with them as quickly as you can and be vigilant about keeping that team running at optimum speed. You know, and the 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 reason that I I like that concept and the the metaphor of the you know car maintenance or house maintenance whatever is, it's if we can reduce the stigma around oh gosh things went wrong I've got to no we don't get worked up when we got to take our car in for an oil change it's because it's been three months and oil needs to be changed and teams need to revisit their values and their commitments to one another and. Are we doing things the way we committed to doing them with one another? And are we keeping our commitments? And those kinds of conversations, healthy teams and the leaders responsible for them are helping to navigate and helping to make happen, not because something's wrong, but because it's, we're human beings. It's, it's, that's the journey. That's the work. So let me ask you a question. How do you deal with that in your work when you're dealing with leaders? There is such a reluctance to embrace failure. And so much of what we've just been talking about, almost the entire time we've been talking here, is about a willingness to embrace failure, to to make mistakes and to grow from it. How do you make the case for why failure is okay in a world where we're constantly trying to make more money, beat the competition, not lose people, all of the stressors of business? How are you framing that uh, to clients when you're working with them to, to make the case that it is important to pay attention to these relationships and, and that that matters in the midst of your business results. Yeah. Well, you know, for, for me, it, it, like, let's just take communication. You've got a whole chapter on communication. So I pulled the book, pull your book back in here because so much of leadership and, and you know, this is the point you make, like, if this sounds like a lot of communication, <laughs> that is your bread yeah. and butter is leadership. I had a, an executive tell us that one time, like, this is almost like a communication course. Well, yeah, that's leadership. Right. But yeah, 90%. Um, Effective teams. Let's go to effective teams. They talk about how they talk. They they communicate about how they communicate. They're setting those expectations. Um, you know, okay, how are we going to respond to our text messages, our uh, our Slack or Asana or whatever system we're using there? What about phone messages? What about emails? What are our expectations of one another and our commitments to one another in terms of how we communicate? So let's just start with that as an example. We have the conversation, we set some expectations, we, we come up with a shared agreement of what success looks like and how we're going to do things. And it's different for your team versus my team. Great. And we start doing it. And four weeks go by, eight weeks go by, and we do a pretty good job, 12 weeks in and we're not there anymore. And so now what am I gonna do? As a leader, if I want the team to be as effective as 
as can be and to get the results we want, there's nothing touchy-feely about that conversation. It's a, let's get back to our, it's like changing the oil. Let's get back to our values and our commitments to one another. Do we need to uh, renegotiate them? Did we, did we make in good faith an agreement that just can't possibly work? Uh, you know, because other things have happened since or, or any of that. And so I, I call that uh, scheduling the finish. So our, our, our longtime listeners know we have six kind of fundamental competencies. And one of them is uh, a management competency is scheduling the finish, which is it's uh, we're not leaving done to chance. It's, you know, I think for you, it's a driving to commitment and those resolution, but it's that time to evaluate, have we done what we committed to do? And so if we have a, if you and I have a conversation about, um, well, we will, after we turn off the recording, listeners, here's your, what happens after we, we turn off the recording, we talk about next steps. When's this episode going to come out? How are we going to follow up on social media? How are we going to promote the show? Um, and when Jeff can expect all that to happen. So we schedule the finish. If that doesn't happen, then Jeff could call me and say, Hey, David, um, uh, where's the show, <laughs> you know, uh, which, won't happen, I promise, Jeff. But if it did, then you've got the chance to have that conversation. None of that's touchy-feely. It's just relationship. And the other piece for me that's important about all of that to answer your question is I like to not think of it in terms of failure. It's effective. Are we being effective? Are we healthy? Or are we in a state of unhealth? And if we're in a state of unhealth because communication is going lacking, we're not meeting one another where we need to, all of that, then I want us to get healthy. And so as a leader, I want to drive us and help us to be healthy. So I like to think of things in terms of health or unhealth, effective or less effective, as opposed to right, wrong, good, bad, failure, success, because those are all judgments back to your point about, well, let's not judge, you know, yeah. let's, yeah. I dig that. It's making me think, you know, we talked about communication and that, you know, I, I mentioned in the book, all a leader has, your only two tools really are, are your words and your actions, right? And it's not, to, to your point, it's not touchy-feely just to have the conversations around communication. You're trying to go somewhere. And as long as you're being clear about where it is that you're trying to go, that's not a touchy-feely conversation. That is a leadership conversation. The other piece of it for me that I think is really important that I tend to think about a lot is what is really at stake here? You may say that you want, you know, again, failure being a judgment word, but I'm just going to use it here anyway. You want no errors in what's going to happen. But what's real? Real is that mistakes happen. People get into conversations where, uh, you know, there's conflict. People don't show up on time. People don't hit the deadline. Things don't happen according to plan. So the job of leader isn't to plan for the best. It's to be able to be ready for anything. And that means that you have to have the communication tools in your belt and you have to be uh, ready to have those conversations when things aren't going right. And that it's not just going to be a conversation about performance. It's got to be about the people because when you have people who are engaged, where they feel like they're doing work that's meaningful to them, they understand what they're uh, in charge about. And then when things go wrong, you have the uh, the resilience to be able to bring things back on track. That's when you have a team that can perform at a high level, I think. Absolutely. I, I always think of it in terms of margin of error. Like, you know, when we send, when engineers send a, a robot to land on Mars, they don't expect perfection. There are margins of error and the materials have tolerance levels and and, and all of those things. So like there are margins of error. And so our job as leaders is to let's reduce those margins of error by addressing the systems, by maintaining health in our teams and our, our processes and all of those things. But those are the responsibilities that we undertake. 
uh, and why ultimately it's healthier as you encourage us to do to choose to work from a place of love as opposed to a place of fear. Yeah. When all said and done, I, I really wanted a simple framework that was easy to follow, right? Because, you know, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Charles Barkley's golf swing or at least his old one. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I think about that all the time because you could break down every aspect of leadership into like, you know, the 50 points of leadership. And, but like at the end of the day, what does it take to be a great leader? I think it's actually a relatively simple idea that you want to have a team where everyone cares about one another, where everyone trusts each other so that that team can perform well together and that they have the safety to be able to accomplish their big goals, right? So you set a big goal, a big objective, but everybody on the team feels safe to pursue it. They care about one another's uh, well-being throughout it and they trust each other. If you have that, you have literally everything I think you need. And I'm sure you can get into a nitty gritty nuance of it, but it's a simple framework for anybody to actually follow. Care, trust, safe travels. If you remember that, you have the basis of good leadership. And there's a lot of things you're going to have to do. The book goes into like strategy and goal setting and conflict resolution, and all these different things. Yeah, those are all very, very important. But if you're lost and you're like, what to do? Come back to the fundamentals, care, trust, safe travels. In this situation, what's going on? What needs to be corrected? Can I exhibit more care? Can I build more trust? Can I make sure that people feel safe to pursue whatever this big goal is? When you have those three things, you have a simple framework to go back to. And I think too many people overcomplicate leadership and turn it into this big, you know, it, it's like a golf swing. There's so many things to think about. You could wind up not even hitting the ball. So we don't want to swing like Charles Barkley. Care, no, not at all. trust, safe travel. Jeff Gibbard, author, the lovable leader. Jeff, tell us where to connect with you, where we can find more about the book. Uh, you know, you've got some things on the website. Where should we go? Yeah, sure. So the easiest place to find everything that I work on is just jgibbard.com. That's a little menu I put together that links to everything that I'm doing. Uh, but if you're interested in the book, it's wherever books are sold online, Amazon, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and uh, lovableleader.com will have links to all of those. So if you just want to go to lovableleader.com, you can find it there. And even if you misspell it, you'll wind up on the right place. I bought all the domains. Um, so that's where you can find all that stuff. Um, you can listen to my podcast, Shareable on sharablepodcast.com uh, or just wherever podcasts are. And uh, yeah, everything is through jgibber.com. You can find it all there. Fantastic. Jeff, do you have two more minutes? Sure. All right. So, and I'm, I'm saying that listener, because we are over time. We've been having such a good conversation. And I, I want to call this out because there are so many more, you were mentioning riffing off some, some of them. There's so many more elements of the book uh, that are, are fantastic. How you deal with detours and, you know, when things go wrong with your team and all of those kinds of, of elements. But the final one that I wanted to have you uh, elaborate for us just for a moment is we've been really very focused on the team and your interactions with the team up to this point. And you have an entire chapter, which I think is so critical. You call it the mirror, and it's really about taking care of yourself as a leader. And I just think that is so vital. You can't serve when you're not healthy, going back to health. Yep. If you were to give us your top, let's say two practical tips for taking care of yourself as a lovable leader, where would you guide us? I mean, I'd say the first thing is you should have a therapist. I think everybody should have a therapist. I think one, we should drop the stigma around mental health and mental health services. Um, you know, the burden that you carry, the the difficulty of being in the leadership role, the pressure that comes with it, that's a lot. And I think you need somewhere to go to talk. And I don't think it's your team. I don't think you put your troubles on your team. Like, I'm not saying you shouldn't be vulnerable with your team, but I do think it, it's not it's not the place. Absolutely. Go talk to your therapist. 
Um, so I think that that's the the very first thing. And I, and I think out of that, you're going to learn a lot of useful skills, such as forgiving yourself, giving yourself the space to, to make mistakes and grow from it. So I think that's essential. And then I think if there's a second thing, it's to find find the thing that you can step away from work that you can go do that's like your thing, right? Like, I guess I'm saying a hobby, but what I'm really saying is like, find a thing that you can go get lost in so that when you have been grinding at it and hitting it too hard at work and you're just feeling burned out, that you have a place where you know that you can go to retreat. Everybody has a different thing. Some people play golf, some people shoot guns, some people play video games, some people cook. Everybody's got to find their thing. I find that if I go in the kitchen and I just spend some time cooking, it just unwinds me and relaxes me and helps to focus me. And I'm saying this for several reasons. Main thing though, is that I think one, you need to get away, but two, that getting away allows you to have the space to reflect on and start to make sort of like new connections in your mind about things that you've been mulling over and working through as a leader. So I think you do need to remind yourself to step away and take that time away, not just as an escape, but actually as part of the process of being a leader, you need to step away and give yourself that time to reflect. And you'll grow in those times where you're you're away from the actual uh, like responsibilities of leadership. Something we share in common. How many connections have I made in, in my mental, in my neural pathways when I've got my hands kneading bread and you know yep. doing that work? Absolutely. All right. Well, that will be our final word. Uh, Jeff Gibbard, author of The Lovable Leader, Build Great Teams with Trust, Respect, and Kindness. Again, so many practical tips, suggestions, uh, but it all comes back, as Jeff shared, care, trust, and safe travels. So Jeff, thank you so much for being a, a guest with us here on Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Thank you so much for having me. It's been our pleasure. All right. Care for people. Love them safe travels, building the trust, and taking care of yourself. That's a great place to start, to be the leader you'd want your boss to be. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.